This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. Historic Souvenirs As we pass another year's milestone in the annals of human history, we revive our memories of how things were and what they might become. Dreams may fade as life marches on, or fire up new ideas in those whose vision and hard work change our way of doing things. Thanks to a lifelong interest in horse-drawn vehicles, Peter Lane of Hamilton dedicated countless hours studying early records, particularly newspapers, to unravel how Waikato firms engage in the changing culture from heavy horse haulage to motor transport. Over 200 years ago, having sailed across the Tasman Sea in the brick active, Anglican missionary, the Reverend Samuel Marsden's missions to set up a Bay of Islands Christian outreach, based on his friendship with Napui elder Rotara. The two have become friends since they met in Port Jackson, the early name for Sydney, five years before. Rotara is quick to acquire English, sufficient to convey New Zealand's first Christian sermon in Māori to his own iwi, gathered by their village of Rangihoa on December the 22nd, 1814. But the occasion of Reverend Samuel Marsden's first sermon, translated to Māori, is remembered for another reason. Two days before the Christmas sermon in 1814, his mission vessel, Active, lands from its hold cattle and horses from Australia. These are a sensation to Māori especially when Samuel Marsden rides along the Bay of Islands beach. Ruatara protects the Church Mission Society lay missionaries whose skills are essential to help the Reverend Marsden cut local trees to build the first mission station. No doubt they harness the horses to haul the timber, their strength astonishing the Māori who long to get their own. Soon Ruatara dies, shrouding the mission in uncertainty till a Napui elder, Hongi Hika, offers his patronage, allowing the foreigners to carry on evangelizing, educating, and encouraging Māori to speak English. Of the original four horses coming ashore at Rangihoa Bay, off the active, a stallion is one, a gift from the Governor of New South Wales to Ruatara. The others are mares. The first imports of military horses are around 1840, Yet the first recorded horse-drawn vehicle in New Zealand is a chariot and pair driven in Auckland in 1847 by Colonel Wynyard. Meantime, carts for both bullocks and horses have come across from Sydney. 
even Britain, as early as 1840. By then, local citizens are engineering carts, sometimes using imported wheels and axles. The evidence of this lies in articles appearing in newspapers' columns. For example, appearing in Wellington in 1840. For sale, one pair cart wheels and cart mountings. And, in 1843, bullock cart for sale by auction, nearly new. The wheels and axles of English make, the cart completed in Nelson by Mr. Trigg. And also, a new bullock cart made to order, a colonial-made horse dray to be auctioned at Lambton Quay. With the unfolding new industry, wheelwrights are foremost among the tradesmen in demand as immigrants, as only they possess the skills to make and maintain wooden wheels for carts, drays and wheelbarrows. Without this, building or other development is difficult. Roads are rough in those days, typically no more than tracks, taking their toll on wooden wheels. Even the main roads aren't sealed. As modes of transport are changing, we see evidence the industry of horse-drawn transport is on the wane. That shows up in firms that, having once prospered in servicing horse-drawn transport for a flourishing industry, now sell their wheelwrights specialised tools for making and repairing horse-drawn vehicles. This phasing out comes in the 1920s, as many of the wheelwrights attracted as young men to bring their trade skills to New Zealand reach retirement. The measure of their integration with the thriving colony are the occasional mentions in newspaper advertisements. From 1840 in Wellington, The Marriage of Anne, Daughter of John Hodnut, Coachmaker, Late of London. In 1841, also Wellington, Among 94 immigrant workers brought in to Wellington on the ship Clifton at the expense of New Zealand Company are two wheelwrights. The lists from which jurors are selected for trials reveal the roles that people occupy. In 1844, there were six wheelwrights in the Nelson list of jurors. By 1851, Christchurch has two wheelwrights, 15 blacksmiths and 100 carpenters. In 1853, the first advertisement for building and repair of light vehicles, Sea Hills of Vincent Street, Auckland. Coachmaker and wheelwright from London. Any descriptions of phaeton, dog cart, or heavy cart. Drays made to order. As newspapers advertise from Sydney, even America and Britain, their services as coachmakers, New Zealand coach manufacturers approach the government for tariff protection from foreign competitors. Hamilton, founded in 1864, is somewhat late to enter the industry with Joseph Cochran of Hamilton East, the only local coachmaker, expanding into businesses on both sides of Waikato River. By then, a stagecoach runs regularly between Auckland and Naruwahia, taking 12 hours each way. That's with several changes of horses. With only 300 people living in Hamilton in 1867, it's expected of passengers between Naruwahia and Hamilton to hire their own horse to ride over that remaining stretch of road, a decade later, the railway reaches Waikato. Another option for transport, going on boats up to 58 metres long, their beam 11 metres, and draught of less than a metre. James Pomery begins business in 1905, originally as a blacksmith in the main street of Hamilton, 
almost opposite Collingwood Street by the Waikato River Bank. It doesn't take him long to expand. Acquiring Hamilton Coach Building, Horseshoeing and Implement Works, founded by P.S. Philpot, opposite the Alexandra Buildings in Victoria Street. An astute businessman, James Pomeroy, sees a future offering services to the commercial sector of the market, spring carts, logging wagons with extensible chassis, and timber bobs for pulling large logs out of the forest and several varieties of jigs. Some come with Tsarvan wheels, which a Tennessee wheelwright has patented against fierce rivalry, perfecting earlier designs with which he had worked 25 years. To his dismay, James D. Sarvan's brainchild is initially ignored, so to stimulate sales he engages agents to market the new design. Despite giving away 600 sets of wheels, his superior design of wheel hub doesn't attract the attention it deserves, till people using the wagon wheels he gave them to try realise they are outlasting the traditional type. Suddenly, the market shifts in favour of the Sarvan wagon wheel, under licence to him. A quarter of a million wheel sets sell in America. Recognition at last. Spectacular sales of his Sarvan wagon wheels brings imitations to the market, copying his design. James Sarvan acts quickly to enforce his patent rights, suing the manufacturers. He wins support of the American Senate to extend his patent to 21 years, acknowledging that he devoted five years to develop and market the unique wheel. Also, how hard he strove during four years of American Civil War to do business while attracting suspicion of siding with the Confederate States, he being born a Southerner. The Senate approves the Southern Wagon Wheel patent to run 21 years, considering it a useful invention to at least double the economic life of a traditional wagon wheel, potentially a big saving to pass on to the American consumer. Destined to loom large in the coach-building scene in Waikato, Mr. I. R. Vialu, a qualified architect and surveyor, forms a partnership in the name of Thomason and Company, builder, wheelwright, blacksmith. It's the same year, 1872, that John Copeland opens a similar business in Cambridge. Now the coach owners of Waikato no longer need send their wheels and vehicles for repair in Auckland. In advertising puff of the day, his Vialu enterprise is pitched as the best place to provide anything from a needle to an anchor. Mr. Vialu becomes Hamilton's first mayor in 1876, retiring five years later, owing to ill health. His business is split in two. His loyal wheelwright, James Charles O'Gara, takes over that side of it, trading from near P. Munro's blacksmiths on the corner of Hood and Anglesey streets. With modern city redevelopment, excavations there turn up old horseshoes, presumably left behind by his business. In 1905, James Pomeroy begins business as a blacksmith. He's behind former premises of the Waikato Times in Victoria Street, opposite Collingwood Street. Only a year later, he acquires Hamilton Coach Building, Horseshoeing and Implement Works of Mr. P. S. Philpot, next to Goyle and Jolly's Timber Yard in Victoria Street, opposite the Alexandra Buildings. 
Into this already crowded business centre comes another competitor, the Acme Coach Building Company, founded by Mr E. Storer of Cambridge. He originally opens for business near the Hamilton Railway Station in Victoria Street, but later moves the business to Alexandra Street. In the 1912 A&P show, his company exhibits 16 of its vehicles, one of them's intended to use on the rough road to Raglan. It's described as a drag, a 16-passenger drag, defined as a four-horsed private vehicle like a stagecoach. James Pomeroy's business is booming. His firm mounts one of the biggest of displays at the A&P show in 1912. Within a few years, the intense competition leads James Pomeroy to buy out the Acme Coach Building Company and further extends their Alexandra Street premises to boast a new paint shop, taking 20 vehicles at a time. That's as well as holding in its assembly shop seven lorry bodies at once, many of these imported as chassis, leaving locals to build the body. A valued finishing touch in artistic presentation of a coach ready for the road is the fine lines painted with incredibly accurate and expensive fine brush along the coach exterior. About this time, Bud Brothers in Morrinsville are striving to meet production deadlines for manufacturing horse-drawn coaches. So as to keep faith with customers, Bud Brothers orders its wagon wheels from James Pomeroy's in Hamilton. The secret to successful paint lining is having a steady hand and extraordinarily fine brush capable of applying paint to make a line as thin as that of a modern ballpoint pen. A brush so fine costs hundreds of pounds. Homeroy's nameplate turns up on the firewall of a one-ton lorry that ultimately ends up in a Tomanui museum. The firm builds all their vehicles in Hamilton, but sets up branches purely as sales and service depots in Uturahanga, Matamata, Te Awamutu, Te Kuiti, and Waiho. Reciprocating the cooperation among Waikato coach manufacturers, Bud Brothers happily hire out their employees skilled in the art of coach paint lining to work with a manufacturer of 80% of herd testers' carts in Waikato. A.D. Morris of Hamilton, in premises near the present Central Police Station, later going to Barton Street in the 1950s, and finally to Frankton. Building the first horse-drawn herd testers' carts in the Waikato around 1940, A.D. Morris's models looked like a <laughs> car trailer with shafts instead of a drawbar and a seat for the driver. These open carts carry all the herd test equipment and chemicals, as well as personal belongings of the herd tester. In fact, it's hardly surprising, as carts become redundant, that they end up towed by cars as trailers, converted by A.D. Morris, of course. The last horse-drawn herd tester's cart in use in Waikato is withdrawn in the area of Te Aroha in 1967 after the horse breaks its leg. By then, all the other herd testers drive cars for their work. By 1916, motorbikes prove so popular, James Pomeroy's company is building motorcycle sidecars. During the royal visit of December 1953, Queen Elizabeth II is filmed driving what appears to be a herd tester's cart, or at least a very similar vehicle. 
This film clip screens on Prime TV on the eve of Waitangi Day 2017 as part of a BBC production of Crux Productions 2016 called Elizabeth at 90. In the film, the Hurtester's cart is so roughly finished it's almost certainly not a Waikato-built vehicle. Its design looks like a car trailer with shafts attached on the top of the sides, a motorcycle axle and a drop-down tailgate on chains. The Queen appears at home with horses, confidently driving the cart on a South Island sheep station with spectacular scenery. Forever adaptable, as A.D. Morris faces the downturn in vehicle building, they specialise in making springs for cars, trucks and trailers from premises in Colombo Street, marketing them under the name Springtown. In the Morris family, their son Chester is still building motorcycle-wheeled carts in the 1990s for ponies to meet the demand for leisure and fun driving horses. For comfort, the wheels are bushed, mounted on an axle carried by springs. Most of the vehicles follow a pattern for small ponies. Length of shaft and spring set vary to suit the circumstances. A one-off order for A.D. Martin is Colin Martin's handsome cab, a carriage on two wheels with one horse pulling two passengers. After it plied Hamilton streets, we understand the handsome cab ended up in Queenstown or similar tourist destination. Chester Morris is most helpful to other horse-drawn vehicle builders. Once, I'm after a cross spring to mount the rear of the shafts to the body of a vehicle being built. No one's had that in 30 years. How much do you need? 1.4 metres, I tell Chester. Give me a drawing of the shape it's to be and come back in two days. True to his word, Chester has a small supply for his private use hidden out the back. He's only too pleased to part with some for a very moderate fee. In 1916, advertising a wide range of horse vehicles and second-hand cars, the firm of Pomeroy coach builders and motor engineers boldly claims to be so cheap that they won't be beaten on price. Pomeroy's hold the agency for several brands of cars, both American and English. They include Overland, Dodge, Ford, Pontiac, Willys and Morris. In 1919, Pomeroy's say, On any type of chassis, we can build the English type of body, the best word in fulfilment of the car deluxe. The quality of finishing touches to horse-drawn coaches is obvious. Ray Jones of Teodoha has a Pomeroy 1900 jig on spring cart wheels. Nearly a century after its manufacture, the original buttoned leather upholstery and very fine paint lining is still in mint condition. In Cambridge, the first carpenter and wheelwright is John Copeland in 1872, but the more successful is Mr. John Ferguson, who opens his coach-building factory in Lake Street, Cambridge, in 1883. Within 20 years, the firm expands to offer blacksmithing, carpentry, painting and showrooms. From Cambridge, they turn out mountain wagons, farm and business carts, to dainty, easy-running sulkies. He also has a coal and woodyard. He's appointed agent for McCormick Harvesting Machinery and Hancock's Disc Plough. 
Standard Insurance Company and American coach builders of Studebaker, whose horse-drawn vehicles he exhibits at various A&P shows from 1903. John Ferguson's son, serving as a soldier in World War I, writes from France of seeing there in 1916 one of the wagons made in his father's workshop in Cambridge. The Auckland firm Cousins and Atkin arranged to display the first car in the Waikato A&P show on John Ferguson's stand in 1904, a Vauxhall which draws a great deal of attention as it goes for a spin around the Cambridge showground. The Cambridge business goes from father John Ferguson to sons, who continue there for about 60 years. Coach building and wheel writing ventures in Hamilton East are destined to difficulties beyond their control. The first mystery follows the arrival of E.J. Wells in 1878. A year later the business lies in embers, sparking suspicion of arson. It's then sold to Messrs. Swan and Sheriff. A year later there's a fire at the premises, destroying big stocks of timber uninsured. In 1885, Thomas Slade founds his firm in Hamilton East, selling a range from heavy wagons to elegant buggies. In 1905, the firm builds for D. Meredith a coach of 18 seats, taking between two to five horses for haulage on the Kihikihi roads. With Mr. Slade's death at the age of 48 in 1906, the business goes to the Aucklanders, Cousins and Atkin, who expand the premises on an acre at the corner of Grey Street and Anzac Parade, formerly Bridge Street, a site now operating as a fitness centre. Cousins and Atkin pioneer coach-making machinery they fit in Auckland. By 1891, they already use a 15-horsepower Cornish boiler, a circular saw, a band saw and a circular planer. One machine cuts 30 mortises a day, as against six done by hand. Another machine is a lathe that fashions wagon wheel spokes at a rate of a 100 spokes a day. A good worker could spend a working week just to cut spokes by hand to make a pair of cartwheels. Installing superior machines raises high output from the 24 Cousins and Atkins staff in Hamilton East. Company policy is to use coach shafts of Manuka wood, stronger even than the best wood from Australian bluegum. Similarly, Pohutakawa wood will make stronger fillies and knaves for wagon wheel components than using English oak. Business overall declines, though not ongoing maintenance still tired wagon wheels need for tightening. It entails making them just a little smaller, thereby tightening the wooden parts. The parent company built the bodies for two Chelmsford steam-powered buses imported from England. Their trial lasts only a fortnight before being withdrawn. The buses eventually sell at a no-reserve sale for only 5% of what they cost new, only four years before. Horse-drawn buses carry on regardless, until they face a new challenge when a petrol-powered bus first arrives in 1913. By the end of World War I, Pomroy's hold the agency for several brands of car, Overland, Dodge, Ford, Pontiac, Willys and Morris. Business booms. Pomroy's in 1938 is one of the largest motor car firms in Auckland province. It sells, in 1965, to the main New Zealand agent for Morris cars, Dominion Motors. 
growing still bigger in 1970, Dominion Motors merges with Austin Distributors Federation. The New Zealand Motor Corporation is born, responsible for British Leyland brands. When it comes, the transition to motor vehicles is swift. In time, older forms of transport project a romantic link to the past. A Hamilton businessman stumbles on the history from the turn of the century of three English-built Victoria coaches. These are low, light, four-wheeled carriages with seating for two and a raised driver's seat with falling top. Exported to Chile. If he finds where they ended up, he ought to make an offer that secures them for New Zealanders and tourists to hire an authentic experience. His business plan is all ready. He'll pocket half the income by which to organise and advertise the rides. The other half of the revenue raised through hire should be for the coachman's supply of horses and his time driving the horse and Victoria carriages. It's a bold bid for business promoting Hamilton and, true to his word, three carriages come to town. The businessman counts on Hamilton's Lake, Lake Rotorua, being a popular setting for coach rides. To his puzzlement, public patronage is feeble. Perhaps the appeal lies in the heart of the city, circling Victoria and Anglesey streets in Hamilton. No, it seems not. Insufficient demand. Sadly, the carriages aren't in good shape. The original panel's gone, replaced with sheet steel. The shafts are now of metal pipe, not English oak. Their tyres are tractor tyre rubber. The horse's harness is in questionable condition. Its buckle tongues are of eight-gauge fencing wire. Plainly, this venture is not proving profitable. The businessman concedes, puts his Victoria carriages in storage, awaiting their destiny. Eight years into their New Zealand sojourn, and eighty years since their manufacture, the Cinderella carriages find their prince charming. They wake from a long sleep when Michael Doyle brings them out of exile in 1992. He wants their dignity restored after completely stripping them of modification, musty and unbecoming of the proud pedigree they come from, rebuilt as new. They go along with Michael's new venture called Victorian Bridal Carriages, a Clydesdale in attendance, that being a, a breed of heavy draft horse from Scotland. Both of the other carriages from Chile he sells off, sharing the satisfaction of preserving their original form with an enthusiast and fellow cabinet maker, Barry Soper. Over the years, they demonstrated meetings of the Waikato Heavy Horse Association how to fit the carriage wheels with iron tyres using the conventional hot tiring method. They hoped to keep the art alive. And I At the same time, next week on Historic Souvenirs, we resume the readings based on the book Pedal Power by the late Roy Sinclair on Free FM 89.0, proudly supported by New Zealand On Air. We hope you'll join us. To the peace of God.
more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.